All right. Who is more likely to play their music loud at night? A group of African young men immigrants or a smoking hot 20-year-old Ukrainian woman immigrant? Coming up on the Anti-Woke Podcast. Throw in a couple fun facts here before the regularly scheduled episode. They did a couple studies on the Texas abortion law that was supposed to be the end of the world, and it didn't stop women from having abortions in Texas. They found a way. They got it done. And I think they're saying maybe 400 civilians have died in Ukraine so far after 13 days. So, COVID. If you believe their numbers at all, COVID has killed like 10 times as many people as the war. And I don't mean overall, I mean in those 13 days, COVID has killed like 5 to 10 times as many people. I guess there's nothing to talk about but Ukraine-Russia. So, let's talk about the refugees, and then I'm going to make some predictions on the war. I'm sure I'll be wrong, but... So right now, the refugees are women and children. I mean, that's like the opposite of what comes across the border, right? Like, illegal immigrants in America, um, it's young men. But, you know, that's, I mean, they have their uses. They're good in construction, for instance. They're good cooks. Um, I mean, that's the stereotypical stuff. But, you know, those are a couple sectors that young men are very useful in. But I'll tell you, even though I was once a young man, I'll tell you who I don't want as my neighbor is is a young man. And I'll tell you what I really don't want as my neighbor is a whole bunch of young men. They just cause problems. I mean, back when I was young... I had a whole bunch of other young men roommates, and we were not the best neighbors. So, you know, like over in Europe, they're taking in the, whatever, the New York Times, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, she's like the 1619 Project, she's she's the woman in charge of false accusations of racism over at the New York Times, she's real famous, and she's saying, racism, racism, about uh, taking in the Ukrainian refugees when... You know, they don't want to take in a bunch of Africans or Middle Easterns. And I think that's partly right. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes you got to do what's right for you and not what's right, right, capital right. But, you know, if your option is like uh, a 20-year-old Ukrainian woman moves in next door or, you know, a family from Iraq or a bunch of young men from Africa, I mean, it's obvious which one you choose. Or at least, which one I would choose. I mean, you know, it depends on what your fetish is. And if it's a 40-year-old Ukrainian woman with two 14-year-old sons, uh, you know, it gets a little more complicated. Now we're talking about young men again. But I think I'd still take that. I mean, you know, everyone cares about themselves. You know, it's like, you just gotta, gotta do a little mental calculus and say, how likely is it that this, you know, that these neighbors are gonna, whatever, play their music too loud? Or how likely are they to have a vicious dog that's going to, you know, be harassing you and your kids when you go in go in and out of your house every day? Or how likely are they to beat their wife and then you get called racist when you try and help her out? Well, I mean, that's enough stereotyping. You know, stereotypes are stereotypes because, I mean, for a reason. Because what they are is they, they just mean on average. Like, is every young man more violent than every young woman? No, but on average they are. Is every Middle Eastern man more, you know, does every Middle Eastern man beat his wife? I'm sure it's I'm sure it's less than half. But on average they do it more than, you know, European men. 
And so all of this is just playing the odds. But then, you know, it's it's racist to notice what the odds are, obviously. I mean, mainstream media and academia, they all try and hide the odds. Because otherwise it'd be like, holy crap, they do it seven times as much? I mean, pick any bad thing. And the answer is it's going to be they do it seven times as much. Uh, that'd be interesting. I'd like, I'd like to do, I'd like there to be a study on playing your music too loud. I bet you that a group of uh, African young men immigrants play their music too loud seven times as much as Ukrainian women refugees. All right, now let's uh, predict the war. I mean, it's going to be hard to predict it like way, you know, how's it going to be 100 years from now? I don't know, but I think what's happening now is Putin, he wants the oil, he wants the natural gas, he wants the money that's in that's buried underneath various parts of Ukraine. And so those parts are in the south and in the east. And he already kind of owned the south part, but they cut off the that's Crimea. It's Crimea, it's basically an island and it has Russian speaking people. And Ukraine, when he took it over in 2014, Ukraine shut off the water to that. So he needs to take over however much of Ukraine he has to take over so that he can turn the water back on to the part he already took over. And, yeah. So he needs to take over part of the south, which is the part he's been working on. It's the exact part they've been working on. So he needs to control enough of the south that he can control the water to keep the part he already has whatever, filled with water. And then over in the east, that's where there's also, that's where they've been having, it's similar, similar to the south, where they have a bunch of uh, Russian separatists that have been fighting a war against the Ukrainian government for the last eight years. And they are also sitting on a ton of oil and natural gas over there in the east. And so I think, I think Putin's going to want to keep that part or take that part for himself because first off, they already, it's already a civil war there with people on his side, right? It's, it's already like half his. People are fighting for him without him even, before he even went in over there. And, uh, and plus they got a lot of oil. And so I think what his plan is, is he's... Like, I don't think he wants Kiev, you know, the big, the big city. I don't think he wants the western part of Ukraine. Or he, I'm sure he'd like to have all of it. But, you know... I imagine he's trying to not bite off more than he can chew, and I think at the maximum, all he can chew is the south and the east, which happen to be the places that have oil and also happen to be the places where Russians live, because when the USSR got divided, a whole bunch of Russians got stuck on the Ukrainian side of the border, but they're, they're still there, they still support Russia, to a certain extent. So I think he's just going to keep attacking the whole country so that they can't focus on taking back the two parts that he wants. That's why he's attacking Kiev. You know, he just he's not attacking Kiev like going into Kiev. He's just keeping the pressure on Kiev, which means the Ukrainian army, I mean, you know, that's like their New York City. It's like you keep the pressure on New York City, and then the American army like has to go and focus on that. And so that's what he's doing while he takes over the other parts. And then that's where the refugee stuff comes in cuz you know, what do you do once you take over a city, what do you do? There's a whole bunch of people in there that hate you and want to burn you alive with a Molotov cocktail. Now, I think the good example of this kind of thing where the aggressor, where it worked out for the aggressor, is in the, uh, whatever, 67 or something, um, Israel took over the West Bank from the Palestinians. And they did it in such a way where all the Palestinians were afraid that they were going to get killed, 
And so they all left. They all went over to, uh, I think Jordan. Doesn't matter. Anyways, what, what it, you know, the way, that, the way that Israel got this big chunk of land that they wanted was they made everyone who lived there and owned the property and owned the houses and etc. They made them so scared that those people left on their own, uh, on their own, on their own uh, opinion, volition, whatever. They left because they wanted to. And then Israel uh, shut the border and didn't let any of them back in. And so I think that's what Putin's looking to do over in Ukraine is uh, get everyone who's against him to leave and then shut the border and keep the parts that he wants, the parts with uh, oil. And uh, here's a little fact that I just learned. Uh, like People talk about you know all the refugees that are going to Poland they're going to Poland, they're going to maybe Lithuania, whatever. These are, all, these are all the Ukrainian people. These are all the people that hate Putin. All the people that hate Putin are refugees that have gone west. But in fact, there's a whole bunch of refugees that have gone into Russia. Like if you're a Russian person who's in a city that Russia is currently bombing or whatever, you don't want to go to Poland, you want to go to Russia. You want to go to a place where you speak the same language as all the rest of the people. And so there's a lot of refugees that are actually going into Russia. And so if you just get these cities completely emptied out, then I guess, you know, Putin's idea would be, or this is, this is what I would do if I was Putin, I guess, which I'm not. Um, and then you got all these Russian refugees, and then you can just send them right back. And it's like, you know, you used to live in the little house on the block, the crappiest little house on the block, and some Ukrainian person... Lived on the same block with a big house, you know. I guess you get you get the big house now, or something. I don't know how that works. I mean, we probably end up with a guerrilla warfare. It's going to be crazy. But there's my prediction: uh, south and east, kick all the people out as refugees, and then take them over, and then try and hold them, and see what kind of guerrilla war you get. Someone did a poll of Americans, and I guess 74 percent of Americans think that we should do a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Now, I think that's ridiculous. I don't think people know what that means, but let me tell you what a no-fly zone means. I mean, it, it, it means, you know, I don't know, maybe it means a decent chance of people in America getting nuked to death. Big cities. Big cities all across America getting nuked. Because the way you do a no-fly zone is you send airplanes to the place where the no-fly zone is, and if there's any airplanes there, you know, if there's any Russian airplanes in this case, that you see over Ukraine, well, you shoot them down. You know, so now we're shooting down Russian airplanes, but Russia's not going to like that. And so, because Russia is next to Ukraine, they got a whole bunch of anti-aircraft uh, things, things that shoot missiles from the ground to the air in Russia. So you know, so if you start shooting down the Russian airplanes, then they're going to start shooting missiles at you from the ground. Which means that now you got to start bombing the ground. So it doesn't mean just shooting down Russian airplanes, which would be an act of war, but it also means now you got to bomb. You got to bomb Russia. I mean, you know, not the cities of Russia. You got to bomb the military bases that are all along uh, the Ukraine border. You got to bomb them. You start. You got to start bombing Russia, and I don't think they would like that. And so you know, maybe they would back off. Maybe that would be the end of it, and America would be a big hero. Or maybe Russia would be like, oh, you're going to bomb us? <laughs> We're going to bomb you. And, you know, it doesn't go right away to, like, the, you know, the first thing they don't bomb is New York City. The first thing they bomb is, who knows, they probably...
do a little normal bombing into Ukraine, like whatever, whatever kind of bomb they haven't been using that's even worse, probably do a little bit of that. Then we do a little bit more to them. You just, you know, tit for tat, back and forth. And they actually, there's something called a tactical nuke. And what that means is a small nuclear weapon. So then you get into small nuclear weapons. You do that for a little while, back and forth. And then, uh, you know, people get pissed off. Like, oh, you killed my grandma. And uh, and then you just, you push the big nukes. Big nukes. You do the big nukes. And I watched an analysis. Only 100 million Americans, every, almost every Russian would be dead. If Russia and America go at war, um, almost every Russian dies because we got better military. And then 100 million Americans die. So that's like one in three. But basically, that's going to be the people in the city. So, you know, luckily, I don't live in the city. So I think I can, whatever, I think I can live through a nuclear war with Russia. And, you know, are they going to have toilet paper at the store after 100 million Americans are killed? Uh, probably not. Like, I do not want to be wiping my ass with a leaf. But uh, anyways, that's what a no-fly zone means. There's a good chance you'll be wiping your ass with a leaf if you're not dead. Twitter handle at Antiwoke, and thanks for listening.